Good morning. Am I on loud enough? Right, we're going to continue to look at baptism. And if it was the week before last, we were looking at baptism, but it's more of a generic sort of, this is baptism. This week, I'm going to look more at like what we do here. But before we do that, let's remind ourselves, there are many different ways to baptize. I want to, to make this point. I don't want this to be divisive in any way. Um, we have some certainties in the scripture. The first certainty is that we are told to do it. And that, I suspect, should be enough for most of us. We're told to do it, we should do it. Um, the second certainty is it involves water. Right? The third certainty is, is a sort of initiation and declaration. And the last one, it's given to unify believers. And that was one of its original purpose, to give, to bring people together. So I just want to sound a little word of caution that one of the things that God gave us to bring people together is being used as a way of causing division. And I think that's something we should look at very carefully and be a little humble over. So just on that point, instruction to baptize is very clear in the scriptures and we'll look at some of that in a minute. Instructions on how to baptize are not at all clear in the scripture. Some people might not like me saying that, but when you look at it, it's perfectly clear that it's not that very clear. So either God forgot to tell us, or he is saying why you do it is the issue, not necessarily what you do. Now, if you want to test that thought, um, some examples of Scripture are very detailed. Look at the last chapters of Ezekiel, where we have an intricate uh, map of how to build a temple. Um, the details of the tabernacle in uh, Exodus, where we're told exactly what colors, what um, fabric to use, the sizes of things. So it's very detailed. If you look into um, Hebrews, we have an explanation of what this means, down to the detail of where you put the table in certain places. So God's not adverse to giving us detail. If he wants to give us detail, he does. But in this case, he has chosen not to. So, I take from that, the command to baptize is important. Exactly how you do it, I think, is left a little to our choice. There may be another reason for that, of course, that when this command was given, it was a long time ago, and you can tell from the writing in Acts that the promise is given to you, your children, your children's children, and as many as are afar off. So the writer of Acts was looking a long way into the future. Now, just play a few mind games. I've done a little bit of traveling, and I've not actually been to the north of Alaska or somewhere like that, but I have heard of a people we used to call Eskimos who are now called Inuit. How would you like to totally baptize 20 people up there? I mean, I'm serious. I mean, it, it's a lot of non-frozen water, which you don't have, which you'll have to heat, and it could become very difficult. And then, you, of course, you've got the complete opposite problem, people in very, very dry areas of the desert. 
how do you totally baptize people there? It may be very difficult. God knew all this when he gave us the commands to baptize. So I don't want to fall out with anybody over how you baptize. The important issue is that we do baptize. So it's my belief that every one of us in our Christian walk should look back onto an event that we shared with others that was seen as a baptism. That we say, that was my baptism. Depending on where we were, in what time we were, what place we were, what country, what culture, we should be able to look back and say, yes, I was baptized. But how is not something to fall out over. Baptism is given so that we can say we are baptized believers and the people who are not Christians are not. It's an initiation as well as a celebration. So our church here, it is our tradition, it is a tradition, that we totally immerse believing adults who have asked to be baptized. Okay, total immersion. People who ask to be baptized and they must be confessing and believing adults. That's our tradition. Now, there are other people who sprinkle children who were infants. And I'm not going to get this morning into the comparisons to why different people do different things. If you want to know the biblical uh, reasons for baptizing infants with sprinkling, then go look it up. But I assure you, many, many people are doing this and say they have justification for doing it. Well, fine. What matters to me is that we are baptizing. And it clearly has to be an adult commitment. And those people who baptize children have a, a later period where they have to make a recommitment. So much about they can say, but it's the same thing. And I told the joke a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago about the little tiny spot, but that's the bit that matters. So, you know, we can get all caught up with this. So let's look at why we do what we do. Um, because it fits with our belief and because it gives some nice pictures. So, um, first of all, if you've got a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians 10 chapters, uh, verses 1 to 4. I'll read it, you don't have to follow it, but it's there. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 4. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. This is the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we know this passage is to be taken theologically because uh, Paul at this point says this was Christ, the rock that followed them in, through the Red Sea. Now let's remind you of a little bit of history here. I'm sure you can, you can place this story. But let's go back. Round about 1,300 years before Jesus, about, there was Moses. And about some hundred years before that, there was Joseph. Now Joseph went to Egypt with um, his family. You can read the whole story. It's a complex and interesting story. But Joseph ends up in Egypt with his family. His family are, at this stage, a large tribal group. Twelve brothers. Each brother has its own family. So you can, you can work out how many people you think there were. Hundreds, I would suspect. But they go to Egypt. Some hundreds of years later, this group of hundreds who went to Egypt um, are now a number, again, you can try and work the maths out, but the figures work out conservatively a million people left 
Um, on the other end, three or four million people left. But you're talking millions. So in the hundreds of years that they were in Egypt, they came from hundreds to millions. They left Egypt um, under Moses. So Moses uh, becomes the leader in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, they learnt a lot of very good and very clever things, which you see coming out later on in the Old Testament. But they also learnt a lot of very bad and silly things, which you also see coming out later on in the Old Testament. So God takes them from Egypt... And he says, I'm going to take you to the promised land, the land that I have promised to give you, which is the land of Canaan. So you're going to leave Egypt, and you're going to go to Canaan. And the story is called, you've got the story in the Old Testament, Moses leads them out. And you all know the very famous story um, that Pharaoh wasn't too happy about this for lots of reasons. Moses leads them out, and they come to uh, a place, as he's leading them through the desert, called in the King James Version, the Red Sea, better translation, the Reed Sea, they came to a lot of water. And they had to pass it. There are lots and lots of archaeological uh, talks about where this was. I have my own favorite place where I think it was. I think it was around about Aqaba, but there we are. Um, they came to this place, and they have the armies now of Pharaoh chasing them. And the, the, the armies with their chariots, this is a, a fairly sizable army, is coming, and Pharaoh's changed his mind, he's going to kill the lot or take them all back to, to, into slavery into Egypt. And Moses is standing in front of the, the, the Reed Sea. And you have the very famous story of the parting of the water. So that the whole of the Israelites go through the Reed Red Sea and come out on the other end. And the, Mos- um, the, the Pharaoh and his army chase into the sea and the waters close over them and they're all, they're all taken away, they're all drowned. So you have this picture of going through the water and coming out the other side. And the picture of one side is slavery, one side is being captive, one side is being somebody else's slave, the other side is coming into a freedom where you are governed by God. And going through the water was the action that took them. And Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 10 and turns this into a spiritual lesson. So that's what happened. So let's read this bit again so we've got this picture that Paul is, is, is telling you. This, this was the story. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, <coughs> the Red Sea. And they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Unto Moses, because without Moses it wouldn't have happened. Moses was the leader. So they followed Moses and they come out through the sea. And at the end of the passage here, um, Paul says, And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here is this picture of leaving a journey, going through, going through the water, and coming out the other side. Now, it's important to see this. This is not a single event. Right? It was a whole series of events. Because when they came out to the other side, they spent 40 years in the desert. And in those 40 years, they had to learn and grow. They then passed through the Jordan. Again, miraculously, when uh, this time Joshua comes up to the Jordan, the waters stop and they pass through the Jordan. Then they come to the promised land. Then 
They're circumcised. <coughs> After going through the Jordan. The significance there is that faith came first. Circumcision is given as the symbol of faith, not the replacement of faith, which is what they later came to teach. But that's what Paul is saying here, that faith came first. So they come into the promised land after going through the Jordan again. So you've got this picture of going through water, coming out the other side. And the water, the water symbolizing the changing of your spiritual state, the changing of your vision of yourself. Egypt, you are a slave. In the um, desert, you're journeying. Through the Jordan, and you've arrived at the, the promised land. And one of the most famous hymns that we have, um, Guide Me O Thy Great Jehovah, okay, it's based on, the, on this story of, of Pilgrim Through the Promised Land. Great hymn. So the other story, of course, you know, is it, it many um, of the Negro spiritual type of, of tradition, they have the Jordan, passing the Jordan as a symbol of death and coming into the Canaan as, as, as heaven. But, the, but this symbolism is very strong. Starting it really at the root of, of the history of Israel, the symbolism of crossing through the Red Sea. Not a single event. The army was washed away, in other words, the, the, the enemy. Uh, then the struggle, then the arriving, then the circumcision, which, is followed, which follows obedience and faith. So, the, the picture of total immersion as a picture symbolizes this. It, it makes it very vivid that you're going through the water and coming out the other side. So we start with that picture. Then, of course, the next um, part of our story comes way up, a thousand or so years later, um, to John the Baptist. And then you have this, this uh, really interesting uh, person, John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets which is important because it says he's an Old Testament prophet. Okay, so we're still in the Old Testament period, although Jesus is there. So John the Baptist, um, and John the Baptist appears, and he starts baptizing. This is the first time, really, you've got the sort of baptism that we're used to. Now, it wasn't an event on its own. I said to you two weeks ago that to become to become a Jew at that time in this society was a sort of, uh, I don't want to use the word trendy thing to do, because that rather, but it was certainly sought after. Many people were converting from being Gentiles to becoming Jews at this time. There were very good economic reasons why you should do so, because the Jews had managed to negotiate certain privileges with the Romans. And these privileges went over the whole of the Roman Empire, which is when, why when um, Paul was traveling, he could both use his Judaistic um, background as to help, and sometimes it was a hindrance, because the local Jewish synagogue still had a lot of power way over in Greece. So to become a Jew gave you this sort of um, a different status amongst the Roman Empire. So when you became a Jew, if you go back to the Old Testament in the tabernacle, and in the temple, there were the lavers where they washed, and part of the Jewish um, being pure was to be washed. So they had the ceremonial washing. So to become a Jew at the time, 
if you're a Gentile, you became a Jew, you would go through a ceremonial washing type ceremony, which symbolized you becoming a Jew. John the Baptist takes this one step further. And he says, if you're really going to be a Jew, and he's talking to Jews, and also we know Roman soldiers, so he was baptizing Gentiles and Jews. He says, if you're going to take this one step further and really understand what it means, be baptized in the Jordan. And he baptized them in the Jordan. Now the symbolism here, remember the symbolism from Moses, leaving the old ways, coming into the promised land, was the crossing of the Jordan. So John the Baptist is saying, if you are serious about what you're doing, then embrace the new life. Embrace becoming a servant of God and be re-baptized, be recommitted in the Jordan. And his, his baptism was a baptism in token of the, the confession of your sin, that I, I am a sinner and I need to, to follow God's law. When Jesus came along, um, John the Baptist said, he will baptize, I baptize with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's a book there all about it if you want to read that side. But we have the, the baptizing in the Jordan. Now, how did John the Baptist baptize in the Jordan? Well, we don't know, do we? Um, does it mean total immersion? It, it could have done, it may not have done. Very interestingly, uh, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, the archaeologists, archaeologists have been busy and they have identified some sites in the Jordan, on the side of the Jordan, where they're clearly baptismal sites. Clearly people went and were baptized in the Jordan at that place. Was this John the Baptist? Was it where Jesus was baptized? Well, we don't know. But we do know they're there. And I can use the magic words which define the 21st century. Google it. Okay? John may put it on the site for you, but just Google it, and there's loads of pictures and, and uh, people writing theological stuff about these sites um, in the Jordan, which could plainly and clearly only be Baptist sites. And you hear a lot of stuff about, well, the Jordan was a little tiny river, it wasn't deep enough to baptize people, and well, that rubbish, it was, it was, it, the Jordan went up and down, went up and down, huge floods at some time of the year, lack of water other times of the year. And here are these big pits, they had plenty of water to totally immerse if they wanted to. So I'm not making any, any reason for or against total immersion, I'm just saying it seems highly probable that John the Baptist was totally immersing. Um, but not certainly. But here are the sites. So there's the evidence. So John the Baptist is um, baptizing people as, as in token of their sin. Now at the same time, after, as John the Baptist is there, he baptizes Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus grew and John the Baptist diminished. And some of John's disciples, look them up, because they're some of Jesus' disciples, changed from John and followed Jesus. But they carried on baptizing him water. It does say Jesus didn't baptize, but they carried on. So they carry on baptizing new um, followers of Jesus in the Jordan in the same way that John the Baptist was. So you can see the tradition is building up and carrying on. So, that was where they were at the day of Pentecost. There's the history of, of crossing the Jordan. There's the history of coming out of crossing the Red Sea. 
There is the actually happening right in front of you. Um, John the Baptist has just been baptizing. He's now been martyred, but the disciples have carried on baptizing in the Jordan. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he says this. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says, but he's, he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. So here, baptism changed a little. Now we have the statement, uh, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And we have at the end of Matthew um, a little bit more on this. So we baptize now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to keep with the scripture. But here, um, Peter tells them to be baptized. Now, what did that mean to them? What did that mean to the hearers? Well, they, they've just been looking at John the Baptist. They've been looking at the Jordan. They've been seeing what's going on. So I'm pretty confident they didn't totally change it all of a sudden. But I think they continued in the same way that they had been going on, but baptized now in the name of Jesus. So does it mean total immersion? Well, possibly, but probably, but anyway, you can see why we totally immerse. Let's take another picture. Romans 6, verses 3 to 5. I want to look that up, but I'll read it to you. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized unto Christ were baptized unto his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's Romans and Colossians 2, 9, 12. Paul continues the thought in a different letter. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all ruling and all authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the bodily, by putting off bodily flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So two occasions, two different books, two different epistles, Paul uses this other imagery. Now I find that fascinating because it means that a concept like baptism is capable of carrying more than one image. It wasn't just one thing, it was more than one image. Hi, if that can happen for baptism, it can probably happen for other things. So maybe many of our teachings have more than one imagery, which tends to imply we shouldn't fight too hard about defending our own, again. So two different, completely different images for the same ceremony. Buried with him in baptism and raised again. So we have this picture of going down into the water, being buried, and raised again in newness of life. And just a little caution here, because another little interesting thing slips in here. I love these little interesting things. I love cross-cultural things, and the way the cultural sometimes helps, sometimes gets in the way. We have this idea about being buried with him in baptism. If I say buried, what do you think of? Hole in the floor, buried. Yeah? Rubbish. Okay? Did they do that in Palestine? No. It was rocky floor. Anybody been there? You do not dig holes to bury people. It's not possible. Very difficult. A lot of hard work. Pickaxe. Right? The actual Greek, and you can, you, here we are, look it up in Google. You've got mobile phones, you can do it now while I'm talking to you. The Greek word is sunthapio. It's two Greek words put together. Sun, which is a primary preposition denoting union or together. And my uh, text says, close to the meta, which means alongside, or para, which means parallel. So it's a very close union. The concept of sun, very close union. Thapo, a primary verb to celebrate funeral rites, to inter. Inter. So it actually means interred with him. Or put in the tomb with him. Or think of Lazarus. Put in the tomb. After three days came out the tomb. Jesus buried in a tomb. Goes to an empty tomb. So the picture the New Testament people would have had when they heard this, was not buried in a hole, but going into a tomb and coming out of a tomb. Either way, the picture of baptism still works. Okay, it's the going into, completely being closed in, and then coming out into a newness of life. So there is the symbolism. So, total immersion symbolizing death, going down, coming out of the tomb or or the grave, and then coming out into newness of life. A symbol, not the event. You're saved by faith, not by your obedience to being baptized. But it's a a rite that we're asked to do. Um, Sometimes, I've written, end of this notes here, sometimes we don't need explanations, just obedience. And if you don't understand it, don't believe it, don't worry about it. Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word were baptized. So for me, to sum all this up, we could spend months on this. It's really interesting. You get into other areas. But very simply, the command is we should be baptized. As, a, as our own statement that we are leaving Egypt and entering Canaan, 
or your own statement, you've been, your sins have been buried and you've been resurrected into new life. It's a, it's a statement to the people looking on. It's a statement, uh, it's a spiritual statement. And it, it's, if you like, a statement to, to the world. We are, as human beings, psychological. We, we, we are um, motivated very often by events and things, like when you get married, you give a ring, uh, eat a cake, and things like that. We, 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 we have these this ceremonies help us. And this was the initiation ceremony for becoming a Christian. The, the early church would have said that. Where is the ceremony? What is the initiation of becoming a Christian? Answer, baptism. So today... Whatever your belief, whatever your concept of how you should baptize, I'm just going to finish again with that very simple statement, Acts 2.41. So those who received the word were baptized. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how comprehensive it is. We thank you for how beautiful it is. We thank you for the, the details in it. Thank you, Lord, that it's an invitation to explore you to explore your ways, to learn about ourselves, to learn about you. Lord, we'd ask your forgiveness for so often we have turned the things that you gave us to unify us into areas of division. Give us humility, Lord, to understand your word, to understand what you're asking us to do. But Father, we would also seek to be obedient to your word, to just follow the leading that you give us. Sometimes that's all we need to do. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, simple, meaningful, but very powerful symbolism that you've given us in baptism. We ask, Lord, that we could be obedient to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.